Yes, hi, Johnny. I was getting worried you'd forgotten us today. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Yeah, we can hear you now. Yeah, I was having uh, some technical issues. I did not forget you at all. <laughs> so. Did you also remember your early to set everything up? Did you also remember your teaching today? I'm sorry. Did you also remember your teaching today? I did. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to try one more time to get a clear audio signal here. If not, I'll do it through my um, just computer speaker, which I haven't done in a long time. Give me two seconds. I just rebooted my computer, so I'm not sure what's going on. Can you guys hear me? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. Cool. The one thing I did not get set up that I would like, I wanted to do a um, a bell meditation. Actually, you know what? Ha. I was trying to get too fancy. I was going to do one that was recorded digitally, <laughs> but I'm going old school. I'm going to use my own bell. <laughs> Okay, that being said, uh, before we get started, welcome everyone, and thank you. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to um, facilitate today. Um, before we get into some announcements, I, and I know a lot of the names and faces are familiar. My name's Johnny. Um, <laughs> my name's John. I went back to Johnny. Don't ask me why. There's another John that joins us sometimes, so it was one thing to distinguish myself, another... Um, a lot of people that are close to me call me Johnny, so, and I got close to this song. I used to, just so you know, I'm remote. I'm in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, I used to, I've been practicing with the COCPB for about, since 2015, so for like six years now. Went away for a couple months due to some job changes. Came back, I've been studying with Didi. I was ordained as a novice last May. Um, and it's been a while since I taught, but as you probably recall from the announcements, I typically facilitate the art recovery Dharma meetings on behalf of the COCPD. So I'm flying in virtually. It's lovely to be with you. I'm sad I've never gotten to see the new center or meet some of you face to face. But um, like I said, I used to do Wednesday night practices, so it's lovely to be able to join you uh, continually Sunday and to, and to start teaching Sunday. So I just wanted to. Let everybody know who I was and how I fit in. With that, everybody kind of knows the spiel on the on the recovery Dharma meeting. We meet event uh, Thursdays at noon. But I certainly wanted to open it up because I know there's a lot going on at the center. If there's other announcements before we can start practice. Um, yeah, there are a couple. Um, Saturday, August the sixth, I think it is. Uh, Anyway, first Saturday in August, we'll be having a uh, Sangha work day here at the center. We will be weeding the area in front of the center. We'll be um, doing some litter pickup around the area. We'll be um, doing some cleaning of the windows, etc., at the center, and also some interior cleaning. So even if it's a hot, nasty day, we'll, we have some in, indoor activities. 
We'd love to see as many people as are available. Um, we'll be starting at 2 o'clock. The plan is to go until 4, but if we finish early, we finish early. So uh, if we finish late, we finish late too. <laughs> We're not going to go past 4.30. Um, so anyway, hope we can see many of you here. For those of you who haven't had a chance to visit the center yet, there will be a chance to see the place. Uh, and uh, really get it prepared for more in-person uh, gatherings. We have just signed an agreement with the, uh, the group that used to be known as Zen on the High when they were meeting at Yoga on High. They'll be using our center on Sunday mornings from 7.30 to 9 for their meetings. Uh, so it's nice to be sharing the space with another group. Um, next announcement is the garden. The community garden is in pretty heavy duty harvest mode these days. They're harvesting quite a bit of produce and taking it down to the free store for distribution. If you can help out on Saturday mornings or Sunday afternoons, uh, 12.30 to 2 on Sunday, uh, 10 to noon on Saturday. Uh, it'll be really appreciated. Uh, let's see. Remember also that we're having Tuesday night secular meditation classes. We're getting a couple of people showing up for it. It's not a huge number, but we do have a consistent number, a um, couple of people. So we'd like to get the word out for that. If you would like a, uh, a flyer that you can take to local coffee houses or wherever else you go that might have bulletin boards for community events, just send us a note at the uh, send us a note through the website and I'll send you back a PDF that you can print out that has the information. We're rotating through four different styles of meditation, one each week. This coming week will be movement meditation, so we'll be focusing on walking meditation, uh, using the labyrinth here at the center, and also a little bit of Qigong. Um, so that's it for announcements. And Glenn, <clears throat> to clarify, is that, um, are those meditation classes going to be hybrid classes or is that just in person at the center? No, that is only in person. Okay. Thank you. Anything else? Is there anyone new who hasn't attended service before? Just to give you some context of what we do, we're going to sit silent meditation for about 20 minutes. We have a couple readings we're going to do. Um, I'll give a brief Dharma talk then to end the discussion. Okay? Just to give you some context of this one. Thank you. Let's get started then. space and mind in perfect harmony. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May all who listen to it be called to mindfulness and transcend anxiety and sorrow.
fruit acquired by a practice extend to all living beings? Swaha. We live in the universe connected to all beings. There are those who are in need of physical healing. May they receive care and medicines when they're healing. There are those who are in need of mental and emotional healing. May they receive care and medicines for their healing. Among this community, we have the following intentions. May we hold these thoughts in our minds throughout the coming week. We are aware that our interconnection and extend through space and time, and we send our desire for protection to all. Like the Bodhisattva of compassion, we hear and respond to those in need. As far as the readings for the Gatha, I would like to read Gatha for a precious human life on page 18 of our practice guide. Today, I am fortunate to be alive. May I awaken fully to the possibilities of this precious human life. I will not waste them. I will to use my energies to develop all the virtues. I will live this day fully with body, speech, and mind dedicated to my own benefit and the benefit of all sentient beings. I will meet anger, cruelty, abuse of power and indifference with love, kindness, compassion, appreciation, and justice. And when I fail to live by my highest values or see the failings of others, I will be understanding, generous, and forgiving, living for the well-being Sutra. I actually have one I'm going to share on the screen. I've shared this with Gwen and Dee and Gail before, so I'm on a little road. You guys. Uh, <laughs> um, so it is the TNH translation of the Heart Sutra. This body itself is emptiness, and emptiness itself is this body. This body is not other than emptiness, and emptiness is not other than this body. The same is true of feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness. All phenomena bear the mark of emptiness. Their true nature is the nature of no birth, no death, no being, no non-being, no defilement, no purity, no increasing, no decreasing. That is why in emptiness, body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness are not separate self-entities. In this moment, we are renewed. May we realize our unity with the universe and be at peace. In this moment, we are renewed. We realize our unity with the universe and are at peace. So, hello everyone. Good morning, Sangha. Um, when I when I facilitate our meetings, we get people visiting from all over the world. So I would say good day, not good morning. Not my time zone, and um, I, all I'll say is what happened this morning with my a couple of my technical difficulties could not have been more fortuitous, and I will get into that in a second. I have a uh, I have been preparing a series of talks. Um, is my audio coming through okay? By the way, yes, coming through quite well. So a series of talks that um, that follow a theme. And before I get into it, I'll just, I'll label them, I'm a label guy, <laughs> I'll label them direct path to nirvana and realization, 
for a fiery jazz improvisation. <laughs> and uh, boy, if you know who I was, I'm not comfortable with fiery jazz improvisation at all. So when, when I work with individuals, one question I routinely ask is, what is your worldview? I find it can be uh, very, a very healthy and informative jumping off point that provides context related to how the individual sees him or herself, as well as how they fit into larger picture. Sometimes they've never contemplated this question in clarification of what I'm really asking. Oftentimes they respond with a ready-made, repackaged response. Why reinvent the wheel when success can be mentioned in terms of the joyous journey for the execution of a plan versus the plan itself? And to great effect. And occasionally I will get a very curated answer worldview that has been worked and honed and cured in the fires of their actions, in the kiln of their life. I wish I were so creative. I am not. I am most definitely a framework kind of guy and I've used to explore a fairly common paradigm, that of mind, body, spirit, with some success for years now. Mind includes a formal meditation practice as well as continuing to pursue lifelong learning, which enriches both my professional life satiates personal curiosity and expands painful topics. Body contemplates healthy movement, mobility, proper hydration, and diet, proper sleep hygiene. And spirit is the result, the intersection of mind and body, an ever changing function point and sense of who I am and how I feel. The other dynamic I feel like I must share with you is my intense need to that I have to make sense of this world, to reconcile, perhaps carry over from my many years of being a CPA, my never-ending search for a unified theory that pulls together who I am and how I fit in. Wrapped nicely and neatly with a beautiful bow, I always found coloring with broken crayons to be a less joyful experience than if I had a fresh box of crayons. I told a teacher mentor of, of mine uh, in, in the past, uh, my propensity to create order out of chaos, something I've become quite accomplished at, at least professionally. And her response was, what's wrong with chaos? Um, I no longer study with that teacher. <laughs> so imagine my predicament when I juxtaposed an in-depth personal study of the Sakyatana Sutta, which is Buddha's discourse on the foundations of mindfulness and the direct path to realization, literally a step-by-step -step guide from the Theravadan tradition against my commitment to further my studies with the COCPB and the Chan Zen school of the Mahayana tradition. So to give you a flavor of the potential conflict I felt, beyond the well-known conservatism of Theravadan tradition versus the broader, more ubiquitous, great vehicle Mahayana tradition. So from the Sakyatana Sutta, the Buddha said, monks, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha and discontent, for acquiring the true method, for the realization of nirvana, namely the four sankhatas. From the Chan tradition, the four noble truths are not a teaching that tells us how things really are. They offer a strategy for reversing and transforming our relationships everything and everyone, including ourselves. And failing to understand this reduces any encounter with Buddhism to a matter of reading recipes without ever cooking or eating a meal. They can be deeply nourishing, but only if we cook them in the midst of our own circumstances. Furthermore, in the practice of, uh, in the practice tradition of Chan, the hallmark of excellence is not the ability to transmit a fixed canon or act according to a set of customs and principles, it is unprecedented yet skilled immediacy for improvisational genius, like a fiery jazz performance. Practicing Chan is about successfully, gracefully, and even gratefully navigating uncharted and unpredictable seas. But your technology does not work. <laughs> So what to do, what to do. I could look for common ground, identify differences, try to reconcile them, 
perhaps even try to make sense of them. But more importantly, I'm trying to seek opportunities where my personal and formal studies can be synthesized. And moreover, share those observations with you where I think one can often benefit the other. So to that end, I'm not going to do a formal study or analysis of the subject of Sutta, but what I would like to do is call out um, various qualities, qualities of mind that I think are not only obviously um, articulated in the sutta and encouraged to practice, but I think they can be practiced off the cushion as well, even more important. So if my life can be my monastery, then my struggles and experiences can be the perfect risk of my practice. So to that end, I am leveraging a new paradigm to this series of talks, rather than body, mind, spirit, that of theory, technique, and heart. Theory. If the sutta be the recipe, we will start there. Just like any musician needs a thorough knowledge of music theory, notes, chords, scales, time signatures, etc., for her fiery jazz performance. Technique. Our formal practice as well as our individual private practices are where we can hone our performance and apply technique into our circumstances, into the monastery that our lives are, both on and off the cushion, and heart. I'll just say I'm reminded of a quote I read in a book entitled Zen Guitar. Better to play one note with heart than an, an entire sonata mechanically. What will be the spice in your recipe, in your practice, in your performance, in your life. I'll just end with, um, so if I'm not studying the Dharma, or working or exercising. I'm usually studying topics related to performance optimization, um, biohacking, things like that. And what they all say is when you have um, a plan and that plan falls apart or disintegrates, it's always good to go to a plan B. And if your plan B doesn't work, what will probably take root and happen is that which you always do, right? So you fall onto your habits. So I do a lot of study about habit formation as well. And my plan is when my headphones don't work, I go to my Bluetooth, and when my Bluetooth doesn't work, you know what I was stuck with? I had to improvise. And that's why I can't articulate to you the discomfort I felt with, no, wait a minute, I want to talk about this. I don't want to actually do it. <laughs> that's why I said what happened this morning in kind of the technology and plan A, plan B, plan C not working was so fortuitous. But you've heard enough about me. I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> good morning, everyone. It's Shetty. Hey, Hi, everyone. Good morning. Morning. Oh, it was so nice to hear your talk today. Um, I liked when you said that about the birthing plan. Um, you know, our ability uh, as Buddhists to um, peacefully go through things like technology or things that don't work, you know, somehow uh, when you practice, um, it helps you center yourself in those, in those circumstances. And um, I really loved your talk and, you know, uh, since March 1st, um, I gave myself a deadline um, of my birthday, which was July 1st to um, ride a stationary bike and take care of my uh, my my uh, Buddhist mind by sitting and I exercise on the stationary bike, but I, I had this goal of losing 20 pounds. And when I got back, my birthday got here and I'd only lost 10, I thought, oh, it's over, I'm not doing it anymore. But uh, you know, getting back on the bike is the same for all of us. And um, 
sitting on the cushion is that way as well. Uh, I go from my yoga mat to the bike and directly to the cushion. And, and once you find uh, the peace that's there and finding yourself there and your center there, it's a really, really good way to start your day. Um, I really like the paradigm, John, Johnny, when you said that about theory and technique and heart. I uh, went back to school and I'm in a, a music appreciation class and it, it really hit a note when you said to me, I, I kind of got fearful uh, when it said uh, play a, um, it, it goes one note instead of a whole symphony because I learned through music and from my mother-in-law who enjoyed classical that the notes we don't hear in music are as important as the ones that we do. So I, I'm glad to be here with all of you this morning. Um, I, can't, I cannot wait to get there in person, which will happen soon. And I really hope what I said makes sense. Uh, the mind, body, and soul connection is so important. And if you put legs on that, or if you put a plan together for yourself in practice, and um, who you present to the world, uh, and not reacting to others, not liking your piece or who you are, you, you can kind of pop that bubble when it comes up. So um, I said a lot, and I hope it makes sense. And I'm grateful for all of you and being here today. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks, Jenny. Congratulations on your 10 pounds. <laughs> I know, so now um, I told Peter, I said, no Flavor Day. And you know what? It's really the daily thing. You know, I'm, I'm not looking for any loose date anymore of my birthday, but I don't know why I chose 20 because that was pretty impossible. But, you know, it's, it's about being on the cushion and on the bike and on the mat and curl during the day for me. So <laughs> thank you for that. Congratulations. It's not, it's not easy to do, but, you know, once you find the peace there and taking care of your body and your mind, it, it's really quite fabulous. Um, Johnny, I wanted to make a comment about your coda, since we're using musical terms today. Um, and actually, uh, Kelly and I were kind of talking about this in our uh, group teacher conversation yesterday. Your your comment that uh, you know in in planning. You go with plan A until it fails, then you try plan B, then you fall back on habit. And that is what practice is about, is to change our habits so that they're no longer reactive, uh, conditioned habits that society has placed upon us, but instead are the habits that we have developed through practice. So uh, there is that difference between, you know, the constant teaching in secular Buddhism especially is to move away from reactivity into response. And reactivity is considered that, that habituated behavior the society has placed upon us. So there is that question of, well, when I fall into my habits, are they the habits that society has habituated on me, or are they the habits that I've developed in my practice? Now, we want to make sure that they are the habits that we've developed in our practice, rather than those that have been habituated by society. Yeah, lovely point. Thank you, Glenn. There is a TED Talk that I highly recommend called Embrace the Shake, um, where there was a young man who trained, went to school for, um, uh, I think it was graphic design, where he could draw very uh, specific, you know, lines and letters, 
And right when he was about to graduate, he developed a shake in his hand. And he, re he went to the doctor and he had nerve damage. And he could no longer do what he had studied for so long to do. And he asked the doctor, you know, what do I do now? This is what I, I, my degree is in. And the doctor said, embrace the shake. And he thought about that. And then he went on to show some of his artwork he's done since he developed the shake. And it's these amazingly beautiful pictures. And I, I just think it's one of the best examples I've ever seen of someone taking what life hands you and using it. And um, to, to prove I'm not great at this yet, um, I have um, tailored my Facebook experience um, to be full of happy, uh, life-affirming thoughts. I. Um, you know, I watched some videos and read some books about the evils of Facebook, and I feel very bad for teenagers because I understand why they might have a very hard time understanding um, what the algorithms are, are doing to them. But anyway, um, a friend of mine put something online about um, don't even invite me over unless your thermostat is at 76 degrees or below. And as an environmental person, my brain exploded. And um, several other people said something about mine's at 64. And right away, an old habit of mine, I wanted to, to yell at them and say, don't you know what you're doing to the environment? And then, you know, I was like, okay, this is not the place to have that conversation. Um, and I don't even know most of the people who responded. Um, so I didn't respond. Um, but yeah, I still have that reactivity, but um, I'm working on it. I honor your discipline. I probably wouldn't have. That's why I cut Facebook out of my life. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> you say you remind me of a great book, one of the first um, seminal books that I read in my life. This was years ago called Finite and Infinite Games by James P. Carves. He's a he was a professor of philosophy and religion out of New York. And he has many, it's basically a, a very short read, a 90 page kind of philosophical treatise argument. And the, he has many interesting premises, but the basic premise is you can chunk up all of reality, whatever that is, into finite or infinite games. And the whole purpose of an infinite game is to continue the play, to take whatever circumstances or restrictions or rules are presented and incorporate that because I want to continue engaging with you versus the purpose of a finite game and it's lists and lists and lists of things that are finite games like it's most most commonly or most um, quickly I can allude to sports games but everything is a finite game life this relative life is a finite game the government all these business rules they're all games for one end and it's all about getting to that end, whether it's a certain amount of profit or a financial report or a law being passed. And it, it basically dilutes the nature of play that's introduced into our activity. I love it. I, I mean, I, I, I've gifted that book more than any other book in my lifetime. Um, and it's not for everybody, but you just reminded me of that uh, with what you shared, so thank you. I'm sorry. Say the name of the book one more time. Uh, yeah, and I'll type it into the chat. It's called Finite and Infinite Games by James P. Cars. Which is a very similar concept to Alan Watts' uh, very famous talk on life is not a journey, which you can find in multiple versions on online. People have developed animated videos around his talk. It's, some of them are really beautiful, but it's saying basically that same thing, that we're conditioned to believe that life is has a endpoint that we're aiming for. And by viewing it that way, we're not responding, we're not interacting with life as it passes, as it happens. 
One of the other things I wanted to mention, Johnny, uh, from your talk, you're talking about the, you were talking early on about the difference between kind of the Theravada view of laying out these are the steps that you need to do, and the Chan Zen view of basically respond to the present moment as it is in the present moment. Forget about all, not forget about all those steps. I'm always reminded of uh, Picasso's statement that you have to learn the rules before you can learn how to break them. <laughs> and Chan and Zen are very much that way. You need to learn the Dharma teachings that have gone before so that you can know which ones to ignore and which ones to carry on. But I've begun teaching a lot on Buddhism on TikTok uh, because it's a platform that allows for very quick interaction with a lot of people. And one of the things that I keep getting asked is for step-by-step -step instructions. And some people get very frustrated that I don't give step-by-step -step instructions. Uh, and many of you all know in, in my talks previously, I've often joked that Zen doesn't give answers, it only gives questions. And that's one of the things we have to get used to, is the fact that, yeah, it's not about learning a step-by-step -step progression. It's about living life. There are many reasons I practice with the COCPD, but that's definitely in the top three. When I heard Glenn say, I don't have answers, I just have more questions for you, part of me, my heart sank. <laughs> then the other part is like, I guess I gotta keep coming back. This is a game I wanna keep playing, right? I keep coming up with a fresh box of crayons and you guys keep breaking them. <laughs> You know, one thing I wanted to mention when Ward uh, spoke of Embrace the Shape, you think about the folks like, uh, and before I say this, I think you have to learn to bend and not break when things happen. Um, for instance, when he got that shape, because as we evolve and things happen to us, we have to adjust to that. And, you know, with the heart of a Buddhist, it's easier to do, not that it's, it's not difficult, but you think about folks like Beethoven, who is deaf, deaf, you think about Helen Keller, who could not see, and these are the books and the lessons that we learn from on library shop, or online now, on old school. But you know, I, it's funny, um, Billy Joel had broken his thumb, or some finger, um, and as a pianist, you know, that they were on tour like a long time ago, Elton John and uh, Billy Joel, and they thought, how can we have a dueling piano tour if we can't play? You know, we, we have to embrace what we have, and things can turn on a dime, and I think that um, with the Buddhist heart, uh, we have a, a better ability to adjust to, adjust to those things. And, embracing the shape that happens daily. You know, anything can turn on a dime and, and being able to take the middle path and learning how to uh, adjust and refocus more quickly. It's not easy, it's not, but with our training and being on our cushions and being here together really helps. I think that, that's key. And um, I'm glad to be here again, thank you. Thanks,
plan Z, but I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I, I personally don't, don't spend my time trying to plan for every possible thing that could happen in life. I, I try to enjoy, you know, enjoy what's going on today, and I will deal with tomorrow when tomorrow gets here. Because I, I was someone I used to worry about what if this happens, what if that happens, and it just it robbed me of like the joy, the joy of today. So I. I try. I try to not do that, and I feel like I'm a I'm a much happier person now for doing that. And you know, hi, Chad. And like like we said, you know, things can turn on a dime. And uh, you know, with the loss of my nephew last year, you know, I deal with great um, grief daily. Uh, with that, but but it certainly helps to remember you know, the best life and things like that do happen and you have to spin and adjust a life and remember to live in the moment, like you said, and, and respect and appreciate the fact that those things happen and to adjust accordingly. So before we um, end with the Bodhisattva 